Welcome to Officer Wellness with Brian Manley, a candid and informative discussion between retired police chief Brian Manley and law enforcement leaders about the many aspects of officer wellness. We hope you enjoy this episode and find it informative. Officer Wellness is powered by Off-Duty Management. I uh, am pleased to introduce uh, the guest on this month's podcast, Dr. Jonathan Scheinberg. By way of introduction, uh, I have the good fortune of uh, knowing Dr. Scheinberg from back when I was with the Austin Police Department, and uh, he did a program with us, and uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about that uh, in the time ahead of us. But uh, again, Dr. Scheinberg is a board-certified intensive cardiologist. Uh, He studied medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, Dr. Scheinberg was also a police officer in Massachusetts for a while as well. Uh, He spent 14 years serving in the United States Air Force, uh, during which time he served as a cardiologist, a flight surgeon. He was an element leader for a uh, far forward critical care unit. Uh, And in addition to all of that, he has spent uh, a lot of his spare time whenever he has that uh, in this profession as a reserve officer. Dr. Scheinberg has served with many departments in a reserve capacity and currently serves with the Travis County Sheriff's Department as a lieutenant and is a member of the uh, United States Marshals Task Force as well. Uh, Dr. Scheinberg serves on the Department of Justice's Safety and Wellness Working Group, and I have not uh, in my many years met someone who is more passionate about officers health and wellness when it comes to an issue that plagues this profession and that is cardiovascular disease. Uh, It is well known that uh, cardiovascular disease is one of the leading causes of death year after year for law enforcement officers and uh, although we think we've become healthier as a profession over the years the smoking has gone down and you're much more likely to find an officer with a smoothie than a donut these days unfortunately the cardiovascular disease uh, continues and the statistics are astounding and Dr. Scheinberg, I know you're going to get into all of the statistics, but looking at the American Heart Association's report that showed just the age that heart attacks happen within law enforcement and the frequency of which they happen, again, just staggering. And then, of course, the life expectancy for police officers as well. So um, I I hope I've done you at least somewhat uh, of of a good job of introducing you because your credentials are so uh, really – just varied, but uh, you're you're an expert in so many areas. So please, uh, thank you again for joining us and fill in any of the gaps that I missed. Okay, sure. That's that's a great introduction. Thank you. Um, okay, so you, you mentioned a, a very um, in, in the introduction, you mentioned some some very significant points which I want to I want to really emphasize. And the first, let me just tell you, it's always good to know who you're listening to. And I come at this topic from multiple perspectives. I come at it as a cardiologist um, and I come at it as someone who's worn a badge for 30 years. And so I have my feet in both of the realms. And um, there are certain things that plague police officers at a disproportional rate that we see in the civilian sector. And as a cardiologist and as a cop, I'm in a really unique position to try to take a stab at what appears to be one of the number one killers of, of law enforcement officers. And and I get that data from a couple different areas. And I want to kind of talk about where the data is strong, what it represents, and then tell you and, and use that as a, as a tool to dive into this problem and tell you, okay, not only the magnitude of the problem, but the ability that we have to prevent this problem from continuing, because it really is a very fixable problem. There's several 
agencies or organizations out there that track officer line of duty deaths. The Officer Down Memorial page, the National Law Enforcement Officer Memorial Fund, which, by the way, as of last week, is starting to count heart attacks, not just medical illnesses. Um, this is a, we've lobbied to them for, for a while, and they're, they're finally agreeing to do so. But if you look at, for example, the ODMP data, heart attack always comes in as number two or number three. Now, you need to take the last couple years out because COVID has been the number one killer of law enforcement officers. But if you go back and you look before COVID, and we'll see again in the next year or two, heart disease will come in at number two or number three. But the interesting thing is... If an officer has a heart attack and their shift has already ended, it has not historically been counted as a line of duty death. And if you take a 12 hour shift, for example, and you double the number of heart attacks, you take an eight hour shift or a 10 hour shift and increase it proportionally, heart attack becomes the number one killer of men and women in uniform. The other issue in that counting of the other the other problem that we have in counting these these heart attacks is that only about three to four percent of heart attacks are fatal. So we're missing 97 percent of the heart attacks roughly. And that accounts for a tremendous amount of disability, a tremendous amount of cost, um, lives that are even if they're not ended are severely altered, um, job performance with changes. So heart disease is an incredible problem that we see in this profession. And you mentioned some some disparities. So let me kind of comment on that. If you look at data, which is collected by the American Heart Association versus data, which has been collected by the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the disparities are exceedingly prevalent. You can see the average age of a heart attack in the United States of a non-law enforcement officer is about 64 years of age. In the civilian sector, it's 46. Okay, We see a disproportionate amount happen under the age of 45. And if you look at overall life expectancy, now this is not just cardiovascular, this is all cause mortality. We see a 22 year life expectancy, which is uh, less, sorry, a life expectancy, which is 22 years less in law enforcement officers than we see in the general population. Now that data, when I, when I, when I travel around the country and I talk about the problems that we're having, I wanna emphasize that that data set is limited. It's based on white male police officers in Buffalo, New York. Now, we know that policing has been predominantly a white male profession until recently. Now we have a much more diverse and appropriate population of officers. But this is the data that has been historically collected and is all we have to extrapolate from. So we know that heart attack does affect morbidity and mortality. It ends the lives and changes the lives of law enforcement officers at an earlier age and more frequently than we've seen in our civilian sector. And knowing this, I think that is what drives your passion and and why you spend so much time on this and and really kind of how we got to know each other uh, when you reached out to the Austin Police Department and wanted to come in and, and really begin a program with us to look at the prevalence of cardiovascular disease within the department. But to me, what was even more amazing is your ability to go in through the work you do. And I'm not going to get off my area of, of knowledge here, but with the, the lipid testing that you do to really be able to diagnose ahead of time individuals that 
will develop cardiovascular disease in the future. And I know that the findings that you had at the Austin Police Department to me were very, very eye-opening and, and surprising. Uh, I know that you actually came across a couple individuals in our department that uh, had what would have been a fatal heart condition that was unbeknown to them at the time and, and really was non-symptomatic. They would have had no way of knowing that that uh, was, was within them. And, and so I know you saved lives there. Um, but looking at the data from the Austin Police Department, along with all the departments that you uh, have worked with and helped over the years, what do those numbers look like? What is the prevalence of cardiovascular disease within American police departments today? So I, rem I remember that day vividly um, coming in and, and saying, look, let's take as a cardiologist who's interested in prevention, let's take some of the most cutting edge technology and knowledge we have and apply it to a group of people that appear to be suffering from heart disease at a disproportional rate. Because it would be one thing if we could have this, if we had this problem and we had no ability to fix it, then we'd look at this and we'd say, all right, what do we, what do we, okay, we identified a problem, but it's one thing to identify a problem and then look for opportunities to fix it. So um, over the last eight years, so it's been eight years since we've been doing this, we've screened almost 6,500 law enforcement officers almost throughout the country. So in Colorado, Texas, Washington State, Oregon, Florida, and Oklahoma. And what we have found has been eye-opening. So you have to understand, when we look at regular risk analysis, Regular risk modeling falls apart in law enforcement uh, risk analysis, and that is because the prevalence of heart disease is higher. So you have to do a you have to have a risk modeling tool, which takes into consideration the uh, increased levels of heart disease seen in the population. So, for example, in a regular risk analysis in a in a, in a regular doctor's office, if an individual goes to that doctor's office and says, "Look, hey, I'm." 45, I want to make sure I'm doing all the right things. I don't want to have a heart attack. What do we do? Well, we would typically use something which has been known for years. It's called the Framingham Risk Analysis, the Framingham Risk Modifier. And what we would do is we take that individual's age, gender, blood pressure, some cholesterol parameters, whether or not they were a smoker, and we put it into an equation and it would spit out what the chances of that person having a heart attack or significant heart disease in the next 10 years mild, moderate, or severe. What we've learned is that model doesn't work in a group of people who have a disproportionate amount of heart disease. So if you take law enforcement officers and you match up all the criteria, age, gender, other risk factors, it turns out that law enforcement officers have heart disease at a higher rate. So that risk analysis tool just doesn't work. So what we've done is we've looked at more advanced markers. So there's two things that we have found to be very, um, uh, let me say this way, we've, we've looked at, let me, let me cut there and start back up. We've looked at several different markers and we found two markers that have been shown to be re reliable in their ability to predict heart disease in high risk groups. So in order to get into those markers, if I may, I wanna back up just a second and I wanna kind of talk a little bit about what we see in heart disease why we see it in law enforcement, why we believe we see it in law enforcement officers at a higher rate, and then talk about the tools that we have to catch it, okay? 
So the first thing is, um, and let me cut for a second. I will give you some graphics you can put in your on the thing so you can refer to them. So I'll have this tied Perfect. in. I'll, I'll, I'll email this to you. Perfect. Um, when blockages form in the arteries, blockages don't form in the opening of the artery like scale does in a pipe. Blockages actually form in the walls of the blood vessel. When that happens, several things occur within that blood vessel wall. The most important thing is that blood vessel wall gets inflamed. And eventually that inflammation becomes so significant within that blood vessel wall that the plaque or the deposited cholesterol particles get so inflamed that it bursts, that plaque ruptures and spills into the opening of the blood vessel. When that happens, a clot forms, and that's what a heart attack is. So a heart attack is not an artery that just gradually narrows slowly over time. It's this abrupt process of plaque rupture. And the thought is, well, you know, why do we see this more frequently in law enforcement? And when I travel around and, and we talk to people that are in, not in the profession, they will say, oh, it's stress. You know, cops are stressed out. It's a stressful job or whatever. And, and I'll tell you, yeah, that's true. But everybody's stressed out. It, it, stress is the human. It's the it's the great equalizer. It's the human condition. Everybody I talk to, even in my civilian practice, is stressed out. Everyone has problems with finances and problems with their kids and their marriages, their jobs. Stress is a universal component. But what's different in law enforcement, and if you never put a badge on, people don't realize it's not the stress. It's the pattern of stress. Being a cop is relatively a boring job until it's not. It's it's these mundane periods of routine patrol or investigation that are punctuated by adrenaline dumps. And that fight or flight reaction causes several different physiological changes in the body. <clears throat> First off, you have a, when that happens, there's an abrupt onset of an increased heart rate. There's an increase in blood pressure. There's a conversion from aerobic to anaerobic metabolization. And there's repeated Valsalva maneuver. And what's a, val a Valsalva maneuver is when someone bears down hard, they increase their intrathoracic pressure, and it's, it's that grunting maneuver. And when I when I describe this to cops, people will tell me, oh, I don't do that. That's ridiculous. I don't, I don't do that. And the best response I have to that is, oh, sure you do. The, the best example of this is when, when someone does the defensive tactics training, the instructors are consistently saying, breathe, breathe, because you don't breathe. It's the most counterintuitive thing you'd ever imagine, but we don't breathe. So the combination of those things is thought to encourage that plaque to rupture at a much higher rate. And what's interesting, it doesn't all, it's very interesting is it doesn't always happen at the time of the event. It happens, excuse me hours or even days later. So one of your officers has a bad day. Maybe they go hands-on, maybe they're in a pursuit or even something doing CPR. That adrenaline dump doesn't stop when that individual officer gets off duty. That officer gets off at four o'clock, that adrenaline dump doesn't just stay at the office with them. It comes home with them. And that plaque rupture can happen hours or even days after that initial event. So that's the physiology behind it. So keeping that in mind, there's several things that we can see from a cardiology testing modality that can identify these changes before that happens. So the understanding of the physiology is very important because 
there are certain things that we can do that we can use to identify blockages well before those blockages cause a problem. Now, let me just mention one other thing. A lot of departments will do stress tests. They'll run someone on a treadmill. They'll do this as a screening test. They'll do it before an individual moves to a special operations type of a unit. They'll do it before promotion. And the problem with stress tests, stress tests will only pick up blockages that are obstructing blood flow. So by the time a stress test is positive, that individual already has a significant blockage. And quite honestly, we don't need a stress test to tell us that. We can tell that by just listening and talking to someone because these people are having symptoms. They're having chest pain. They're short of breath. So the key is for us to be able to identify blockages before any of this process occurs. So there's two things that we have been reliably able to identify. One is calcium scoring. So when blockages begin to form inside the walls of the artery, little flecks of calcium develop within that blockage. That calcification can be seen on a CT scan. It's a very low-dose radiation CT scan, which is called a calcium score. These scans are available throughout the country. They're usually a cash-paid test, and the average cost for a test like this is typically about 100 bucks. In fact, most states don't even require a doctor's order to have the test done. For example, it's marketed under several names, such as a ultra-fast CT scan or a, a heart saver CT scan, but these CT scans are very quick, they're low doses of radiation, and they're able to detect little flecks of calcium in the arteries that indicate that plaque is beginning to form. So this was the first technology that we had. We thought this was going to be the determinant that we can identify cops who are having heart disease before it becomes a problem. This was studied in 2012 at Beth Israel in New York, and they took 2,000 police officers, and they gave them calcium scores. And then they compared those to civilians, and what they found was there was no increase. So here we had this, this sort of conundrum where we had this much higher risk of heart disease in law enforcement, but when you go to look at these calcifications, there doesn't appear to be an increased risk. And I'll tell you, we studied over 6,000 police officers and we identified the same thing. That calcium scoring is important because it will pick up a portion of people that are beginning to develop this plaque if it's calcified. But when you compare it to the civilian populations, there's no difference. So this goes back to what I just mentioned about this inflammation. Because we do now know that this inflammation that we talked about is what causes heart attack. Those markers, there are, there are markers of inflammation that can be detected on a simple blood test. These markers of inflammation develop inside the arterial wall. And as plaque begins to fill that arterial wall and that artery becomes inflamed, years before that plaque will rupture, these markers of inflammation in the blood continue to go up. There's one marker in particular, and that marker is called phospholipase A2. It's abbreviated at LP-PLA2. And again, I'll provide a graphic for you guys so you can put on there. PLA2 is the marker that predicts plaque rupture. It's the marker that predicts heart attack. And after studying 6,000 cops, what we found is there is a much higher prevalence of this inflammatory marker in law enforcement officers than we see in the civilian sector, much higher than what we'd expect to see in chance and chance alone. Interestingly, it's much higher in law enforcement, corrections officers, and firefighters. 
So what I'm getting at is this, if we have a group of people who are not having any symptoms within our profession, we know this group of people is at an increased risk of heart attack. We know the mechanism which that heart attack occurs. It's plaque in the wall of the artery that becomes inflamed and then ruptures. But now we know what to look for to see if this inflammation is present. And this inflammatory marker is called PLA2. If we detect it, we know that individual is at risk for developing a heart attack. Now, the good news is once we detect it, it's completely treatable. This would be a useless podcast and a useless visit if we would be able to detect this and then we, we were powerless to sort of avert it, but we're not. So I want to tell you that in about 54% of the individuals that we analyzed, uh, we found we were found to have premature evidence. Let me back up. And about 54% of individuals that we analyzed were found to have what we call preclinical heart disease. In other words, heart disease based on that calcium score or based on that inflammatory marker that's present, even though they're not having any symptoms. And so knowing cops as we both know them, uh, definitely not the first to run to the doctor when they're having the symptom of something wrong. You know, when you're the one that provides the help so often you don't go get the help when you need it. Um, typical annual physicals. They're not going to find this, right? Because this isn't going to come back to you in your normal cholesterol test and the blood work that uh, is going to get done by your GP, right? We got no, to go further. Absolutely not. Very rarely is this type of testing done sort of at a, at a primary care level. And, and, and not to malign the primary care doctors, but we're in a medical environment in which most providers are working for large healthcare organizations. The average appointment is 15 minutes, and in 15 minutes, that provider is expected to go over colonoscopy needs, mammogram needs, prostate screening needs, skin cancer evaluation, not to mention the reason you're there, which may be your sore throat or your backache, and also talk to you about prevention. There's just not enough time. So what I ask is for our officers, there's several ways to get this done because um, we're at a time in our society now in which our, the individual patients have to become their own advocates. In the same way that if you were buying a car, you'd have to go to the dealership and say, this is the car I want. I don't want that car. I need this car. When you, and I hate this word because it, it's, it's used in the wrong context often. It's, it's empower. And I don't like using it, but it, it's true. We need to empower our officers to know what to go for, to go to the doctor for and ask, hey, I'm a law enforcement officer. I know there's two tests that I need. And if the doctor is unable to offer them, that individual must advocate for him or herself and be able to get it and say, okay, doctor, I understand. But if you can't get this test for me or these tests, can you please send me to someone who may be able to provide these for me? And again, those tests are a coronary calcium score which is that scan of the chest without using um, dye. It's just a low-dose radiation CT scan. And this blood test, which is called PLA-2. That blood test is commercially available at most labs, and it's under $100. That calcium score is available at most cities, and it's under $100. These two tests are able to identify heart disease in their very early stages, but the officers often have to ask for it. 
And this is one of the primary reasons I was so grateful that you accepted the invitation to join today and, and, and talk about this, because it is identifying, not identifying, it's talking about what we've known has been an issue in the profession for decades, you know, cardiovascular disease. But the fact that there is now a, a an opportunity to treat it, to identify it early, and to do so at such a, a cost-effective way, because I know I've heard you speak before about the cost of a heart attack uh, to whether it be the employing agency, a police department, or just to society as a whole versus the cost of prevention. If you want to just look at it from a purely economic standpoint, this makes all the sense in the world. But then you've got to just add the human perspective as well that I know police leaders around this country truly care about their officers. They invest so much in either health and wellness programs or safety programs, but this is something that lies just under the surface that is so affordable and that actually is effective at reducing what truly is one of the leading causes of, of death amongst officers, and that's the cardiovascular disease. I know in, in one of your presentations, um, I've heard you talk about how I think it is statistically uh, officers are 25 times more likely to die from cardiovascular disease than from the actions of a suspect. And right. we know how much money we invest in their training and their protective equipment and all of that for those encounters that end up in, in, in violent acts. But are we spending enough money here? And, and, and so maybe as I pitch it back to you, where do we take this? How do we grow this? How do agencies bring this on board so that we can let the great work that you and, and, and your peers have done spread around the country and save more cops lives? So, again, you, you've hit on so many good points. So the um, there's this is cardiac screening is one of those things where it's a win win for everybody. So in terms of cost, we know, looking at CALEA data, that the average cost of a heart attack for an agency is between $450,000 and $750,000, one heart attack. Now, that includes direct medical costs. It includes overtime to backfill. It includes early retirement. So one heart attack is a half a million dollar, if not more, ding to a department's budget. Now, if you're talking about the private sector, you have a situation in which, well, the healthcare comes out of one pot, disability comes out of another pot, overtime comes out of another pot, um, retirement comes out of a completely separate pot. But when you're talking about a municipality, whether it's a state, county, or local agency, we're talking about taxpayer dollars. And it all funnels in from the same area. And oftentimes, most large departments are self-funded when it comes to their own healthcare costs. So, we are looking at over a 30 to 100 to 1 ratio of return on investment for spending money for a cardiac screen. So a full cardiac screen, and again, the tests that I mentioned are, are two tests. A full cardiac screen would also include an advanced lipid panel, which looks not only at cholesterol, but cholesterol quality and size and density. But all this stuff can be done for, we're talking in the hundreds of dollar range. $400, $600, depending on the ex how extensive the testing is. Compare that to one heart attack, which is six, five $600,000. $600, so yep. it makes, not only does it make financial sense because you save money, you keep your officers healthy, you keep them on the job, and you let them live through retirement. You know, um, 
I know he's been on your on your show before, but one of the individuals who I respect tremendously is Rick Randall. And and Rick has a tremendously powerful message that when he said to me, and I, and I give him, and I, I quote him wherever I travel and speak, I quote Rick. And he said, when these young men and women graduate the police academy, they're in physically in the best shape of their lives. Okay. They've undergone at the minimal rudimentary psychological screening, if not more thorough. So you take this resource that is physically and mentally probably in the best shape of their lives. And over a 20 to 25 year um, uh, career, we take these individuals and we destroy them. We give them a higher risk of heart disease. We give, her, we give them a 22 year mortality difference in the, in the civilian sector. We give them a higher risk of obesity, hypertension, diabetes. We give them a higher divorce rate, depression rate, suicide rate. So you take this phenomenal raw product and over 25 years, you destroy it and then we die earlier. And this is for a career spent in the selfless service of others. It doesn't have to be this way. My colleagues on the mental health side have made huge strides to take mental health from the um, the area in which it was the stigma was so bad to an area which we know now, okay, you can't do this job and expose yourself to the traumas that we see and not have some mental health needs. So we have that licked. We're understanding that fitness and nutrition are important parts of keeping an officer alive and healthy and on the job. And then now we know that the cardiac screening component can be done as well. So we have an obligation to these young men and women who are coming through our, our, our departments. Our, our executive leadership has a ethical responsibility to ensure these people are able to not only perform their job at the greatest efficiency and effectiveness as they possibly can. But we have a moral and ethical obligation to see to it that after a career of sort of selfless service, these individuals can live long enough to enjoy the retirement they work so hard for. And stomping out heart disease is one of those things which is completely within our reach in order to do so. Absolutely, and the difference in mortality rates, that in and of itself highlights the importance again of the work that you're doing and and i i hope and believe that in time that we're going to see that number change but only if we can get the word spread and we can educate more and more of those who serve on the need to get these additional tests um i think that as we talked about so many people feel like they get their annual physical they take their departmental stress test they're good to go and unfortunately um you know so many uh so many of us even at my old department found out that maybe we weren't as good as we thought we were and uh you know so i i am hoping that uh, the value of your time today of joining on this podcast will be seen as this message gets spread across additional agencies i know you go around the country speaking at many different events and are, are sought after to give your presentation. And so, uh, again, through that work, I hope to see this continue to, uh, to grow and to save lives. You've been listening to Officer Wellness with Brian Manley, powered by Off-Duty Management. Off-Duty Management provides off-duty job administrative services and comprehensive liability insurance to officers and agencies at no cost. For more information on off-duty management, visit offdutymanagement.com.